Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Style Guides podcast, a podcast dedicated to style guides, pattern libraries, and building effective interface systems. I am Brad Frost. And I'm Anna Debenham. And today we are extremely excited to have Fed Holgado of MailChimp talking to us. So, Fed, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Super excited to chat with you guys. Yeah, so you're, ba- you're based in Hotlanta, which it sounds like is sort of cold right now. Hotlanta, which is cold Lanta right yeah, now. Yeah, cold Lanta. Uh, hopefully you guys don't have crazy ice storms like you did last year, right? Was- hopefully not, because that was <laughs> almost the end of the world here. <laughs> awesome. Literally. <laughs> so, so you work at MailChimp. Um, do you want to sort of just give a little bit of background? You know, how long have you been there? How long have you been working there? What, what do you usually do? What's your sort of uh, you know, job title and what are you doing on a daily basis? Yeah, cool. Um, I've been at MailChimp almost four years now, and my roles have kind of progressed over those four years. But the latest and greatest thing that uh, we're working on is uh, I'm director of UX for MailChimp, and I help the design and development teams Uh, come up with features, decide how we're going to build them, how we're going to design them, and actually help those guys uh, build things as well. Great. Wow. So so sort of like high level, very strategic, figuring out what what are the best things that the company should be focusing on and then sort of making that happen. Yeah. I mean, mean, it it actually is is a gamut. I mean, I'm talking with design and engineering a lot. I'm talking with uh, front-end developers a lot, uh, sketching a lot, thinking through design problems, um, even coding some stuff, which is exciting. That's really cool. So so MailChimp's had a style guide sort of released into the wild, publicly available, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and it's been that way for, for a while now, and you've actually sort of iterated on it. So do you want to sort of talk about you know, where that style guide came from, sort of, you know, its genesis and, and its sort of trajectory, how it's gotten to the place it's at right now? Yeah, I think um, early in the early days of MailChimp, I remember this is even before I started working at MailChimp, uh, I remember seeing this Flickr page for a uh, set of uh, patterns that was that made up the MailChimp UI, and I remember being kind of blown away by it. I thought it was the coolest thing ever, and I would. <laughs> I saw that too. Yeah, <laughs> it was on Flickr. I remember it was a huge uh, JPEG or, or ping, and I think it was in uh, in Aaron Walter's uh, Flickr account. And you know, I remember looking at that and just being really inspired. I'm like, man, you know, this is this is something to strive for. Um, you know. But it's a JPEG. <laughs> yeah, but it's a JPEG, so it was kind of weird. But I guess, you know, back in those days, I, I don't know. I, I think the, these ideas just weren't well-formed enough. Mm-hmm. I, I know that I think it was a JPEG of a website. Uh, I, I just think it was internal at the time, and, it, you know, they didn't want to actually share the thing, so they shared the next best thing. Um, but anyways, if you fast-forward, I don't know, two, three years, uh, maybe even more, uh, when we were finally coming around to doing the MailChimp redesign, 
we knew that we wanted to uh, take the same approach just because it was so helpful uh, for everybody in the team, for engineering and for the uh, design and, and front-end development teams to, to have this common language to, to share, right? Um, so we kind of started the, the MailChimp redesign with the really, really atomic pieces of the design. If I'm, I'll steal your language for a little bit. Um, and then eventually, you know, we worked on the base part of it and then we started working on MailChimp and then just kind of organically everything grew around it. But uh, it's almost like we worked on the, on the really basic pieces of, of MailChimp, uh, started developing other new parts and pieces that we thought were really cool and we started to see uh, a pattern forming where things could be reused in different places. And almost at the end of it, like at, at the end of that first big sprint, we stopped for a little bit and looked back and collected all those pieces and said, okay, based on the work that we all just did, this is what the, the MailChimp pattern library for the redesign has now become. And that's what, that, that was the, the genesis of our, of our little pattern library. So why did you make it public? There's a few reasons why we decided to make it public. Uh, I think one of the most important reasons was that we really, uh, we really used a lot of knowledge that was published by other designers, developers, by the community in general. And we felt like we needed to contribute back a little bit and say, you know, this is the way that we took all those ideas. Some of them our own, some of them things that uh, were shared by others. And this is how we combine them and how we apply them to our own use case, uh, which, you know, I think was, uh, was helpful for us to, to have it all there. Uh, mm. So sharing was one part, and the other part was we really just needed to keep ourselves honest. You know, uh, even still in, in in this day and age, our, our pattern library gets a little bit neglected. You know, we 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 try to work really fast, and uh, sometimes we'll forget to to change things. Like if you look at it right this second, uh, the pattern library actually doesn't have all the new changes that we just implemented in this. A uh, little refresh that we launched uh, at the beginning of the year, but uh, mm -hmm. the guys are harder work, hard at work on it right now, uh, trying to clean it up and and basically giving it an update as well. So uh, the you know sharing is one part. The other part is kind of keeping us honest uh, yeah. and making sure that uh, that we're we're taking care of it, we're maintaining it, just knowing that other people are looking and uh, and it's a resource to them, uh, just makes us feel like we have to keep up with it. Yeah, and, and how many people are, are at MailChimp? Because uh, what I found is for sort of bigger organizations is you know, sort of the bigger a company is, the, the more likely a resource is to sort of slip between the cracks or not everyone is seeing it. So it's, it's also sort of like a visibility thing, you know, just like as, as an internal resource. So uh, how many folks are at, at MailChimp these days? Gosh, uh, I think now uh, we're... Over 300 people. Holy smokes. Wow. Yeah. That's, um, that's way different than I think even two years ago. It wasn't anywhere near yes. that. That's, yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But so that's all yeah, right. Like 300 people that, that sort of need to know this thing exists, right? As, do you see that? Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, 
it, really the the people that it affects the most. Uh, actually, QA uses it a lot. Mm. Uh, they're constantly looking at it, making sure that things are kind of in mm. check and something hasn't blown up. Um, and of course, uh, designers, the front end developers, uh, and and the engineering teams all refer to it on a regular basis. So it's it's actually really kind of crucial to our entire workflow of building things in MailChimp. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's let's talk about that a little more and, and sort of specifically about sort of what you're just talking about, about sort of that challenge of keeping the style guide and, and your production environment sort of in sync and, and sort of what that means for your for your workflow and stuff. Because this is... Uh, this is a, a challenge I, I see literally across the board. I mean, even in my own work and stuff. It's um, and I actually go back a couple years uh, talking to, to Aaron Walter uh, about your guys' style guide, and he I'll never forget this. He he said, "Yeah, it's sort of this this Atlantis. It's this sort of you know." this beautiful thing that's off in the distance that we're never, ever going to sort of realistically, you know, implement, uh, across the board, you know, in our actual product. It's, it's this sort of thing up on a hill and we're striving towards it, but, it, but it's just sort of not realistic to, to ever have them sort of totally be in sync and up to date and all the time. Uh, so, so I guess, could you talk through some of that stuff, some of those challenges around maintainability and sort of, you know, people's priority and, you know, you're working on, on the real product and the, and the style guide isn't really the real product, but it's important to it. And how does all that work? Gosh, I mean, I, I, I agree with you and it is one of those kind of ideal, idealistic things that you're always striving for, but it's very hard to get there. So some of the some of the decisions, for example, like an engineering decision that we made to try and force us to keep up with the pattern library a little bit more was that um, the pattern library is actually hosted out of uh, the app. So it's just on an endpoint that's uh, not behind a login, and mm. and it actually shares uh, it renders using the same uh, style sheet that is actually being used in the app. Mm -hmm. So if something in the app is broken. Uh, or if something in the style I get is broken, it probably means that it's also broken in the app. Right. Uh, the only the only disconnect there is that the markup in the in the pattern library is on its own, um, and it's not connected in any way to the markup that's in the in the site or in the app. So that's where the disconnect usually happens. Where you know we'll tweak a pattern somewhere, and then we'll forget to tweak it uh, in the style guide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's been that's been my experience too. It's, a, it's a sort of porting over the CSS and the JavaScript, sort of making sure those things are shared between the two are yeah. are sort of the easier side of it. But it's that markup, uh, that stuff that gets sort of blended in with the back end logic and all of that. It's mm -hmm. sort of hard to decouple that uh, into these sort of little bite sized chunks. Yeah, and it, it actually you know. I've seen it done, and it, it is doable. I can't remember which style guide it was. Um, I think it was a travel site. It was it was an yeah. amazing. Oh, style Lonely guide. Planet. Yeah, Lonely Planet. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna be talking to Ian uh, a bit later on. I'm super excited about that. So. Oh man, that's awesome! I'm excited to hear what he has to say. But um, I noticed in their style guide, they actually uh, it's almost like they have uh, function calls to generate a a bit of UI, and I'm yeah. assuming that's so that they can actually 
make a change in one place and it propagate everywhere else, which yeah. sounds amazing. And it also sounds like a gigantic <laughs> amount of work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that is, that is, um, that is, oh, we joke around and say, you know, that's, that is the holy grail, right? There, yeah. To just really be able is. to sort of have, have things in, in one place and it just sort of works. But, um, but irrespective of that, I mean, you know, there's no, there's no doubts that, that, you know the the benefits of these style guides, even if they are just a representation or sort of you know an abstraction, uh, are, are are helpful. <laughs> for, yeah, totally. For other Absolutely. things, yeah. So, um, sort of coming back to to workflow and stuff. So you you have engineers, you have front end developers, you have sort of UX designers, um, and and sort of visual folks as well, right? Uh, how do do you have people that are working in tools like Photoshop, more sort of static tools, and and how do they benefit from the style guide, or how do they make sure that sort of what they're cranking on uh, sort of aligns with with what's live in the style guide? So yeah, we do. We still have uh, visual designers that work mostly in Photoshop, or even we're, we're trying out Sketch right now. Um, so it's actually kind of funny, and they've been running into a similar situation where uh, they want to create a style guide or a pattern library, and the tools are not quite there yet, but mm. they're rapidly approaching. Mm. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think they've been they've been working on, uh, Photoshop recently uh, came out with the ability to have uh, stored objects or, or patterns that you can basically replicate and and that's actually great and it's it, and that can serve as the foundation for the pattern library but they just can't be synced right now so they can't be shared so uh, one designer can't develop them and build them and another designer use them in another you know in their own photoshop instance which i'm, oh. I'm, I'm sure it's coming you know yeah. I'm sure it's something that yeah. they're thinking about yeah. So you're you're referencing I, I want to say it's called like the Creative Cloud like libraries panel yes. or something. Yeah. yeah. That okay. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's oh that's a shame that you can't share it right now. But um because that's obviously the main benefit of it, right? You have a bunch of different designers all sort of leveraging the same toolkit. Yeah. And um, and the grand vision for us has been that those guys would have something it, basically exactly the same thing where they have a bin of parts that they can just drag uh you know to or basically drag into their their document or whatever they're working on to to build UIs, uh, so that it's all the same and it's it's shared language. But um, it, it's almost like even still, even now, they've got Photoshop files of their own patterns that reflect the patterns that are actually live on the pattern library. And this is where yeah, which is which is is hard to deal with. Uh, but it's almost like in reality the patterns actually are born in Photoshop or sketch and they eventually get um, extracted out into the pattern library, into the real thing. Yeah. And I, and I think that that makes sense. You know, you have the sort of static, more free form sort of, you know, playful environment to, to really sort of tinker with this stuff and bake these ideas. And then sort of once they're, once they're baked and start getting executed, then you can actually sort of, make them part of the system. I think, I think that makes sense. I think there's a lot of opportunities for, for, and I've sort of, uh, 
not that I've railed against Photoshop or anything like that, but, <laughs> but um, I do, uh, it, it is really encouraging, I think, to sort of see uh, those, those tools start to recognize that, yeah, you, we need to be able to sort of design things in a more systematic way. Uh, yeah. That change, changing border radius on one button shouldn't require you hunting for layers. You know, sometimes, other God, layers. <laughs> sometimes I feel so bad for those guys because you watch them work and it's like <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like manual labor. You know, it's, it's like they're sitting there just changing exactly like what you're saying, changing the stroke on a button. Yeah. And there's 17 different buttons on the page, and they'll be sitting there for the next 15 minutes changing the stroke. Right. Jeez. Like, oh, right. This is this is literally changing one character in CSS, and it's yeah. taken you seven hours. To yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's horrible. Yeah. Something I wanted to briefly talk about was um, you you don't just have the pattern library, you've also got um, voice and tone, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a style guide, I guess, specifically for content editors. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Correct. And that's kind of more, um, I guess the pattern library is more sort of internal facing. It's really useful for people internally, but the voice and tone is much more for, I guess, people who write emails. Or for the brand, yeah, like a global language for the brand, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in Kate, uh, who's the uh, the person that was uh, originally behind the whole concept and idea, and she can speak to it much better than I can. Uh, but from my point of view, it's just a way, uh, again, to keep everybody on the same page as far as how we how we think it's best to talk to our customers and talk to the, the people that use MailChimp. And, mm. you know, I, I still think, again, it, th- there's a note on the pattern library that says, you know, this is for us. Like, we're just, yeah. we're sharing with you, but really it's for us. Um, and I, I really believe the same thing with voice and tone. I, I think it's it's so much for our own internal communication. Uh, it kind of reflects how we interact with each other to some extent, too. I think just our, our culture is well reflected in, in that voice and tone guide. But, you know, it, it just so happens that I think uh, the way that she approached it and the way that it's kind of grown over the years, it, it just makes sense for a lot of people. And it's so, I don't know, it, it seems like it's it's accessible enough. And it, I don't know, to me, it just makes sense. Like, that's the mm-hmm. way that I like to communicate. And that's the way that, to me, just seems the right way to do it. Yeah. Do do you ever find that that sort of your your interface pattern library and voice and tone sort of sort of intersect? Are there are there sort of voice and co- tone considerations for specific interface elements, or, or are they sort of pretty much separate operations that sort of just coexist? no? I, I mean, the people that are generally one of the things that we we tend to do in order to make sure that uh, that everything's kind of cohesive is you know we'll always be taking our best shot at coming up with the copy that we feel, uh, you know, fits the situation and that, that and, and it makes sense. I mean, sometimes we'll have discussions for hours on just what to call things or how to refer to them. Um, but usually what we'll end up doing is before, uh, we wrap up a release, uh, Aaron and I will spend probably an entire morning just looking at, every little thing that we design, every little flow and interaction and just expose the copy and talk about it and just to say, okay, like 
how does this sound? How does this make sense? And and we'll go through and almost like proofread it. Um, and a lot of that is you know referencing voice mm. and tone and making sure that uh, that the way that we're speaking is just you know I, I think originally Aaron was the one that, that developed uh, this kind of idea of of how we should I don't know how we should interact and. It, to us, it's just so important that we keep that consistent. So it, it's almost like part of our workflow to make sure it's like, okay, let's stop. Let's think about words one more time. Even though we're thinking about words <laughs> all the time, we, we need to, you know, it's like you need to, now that it's all there, you need to look at it all together. Yeah, that's a, that's phenomenal. I mean, that's good. That's great that you take the time to make that stuff happen. Cause, uh, as I've found and I've been sort of repeating, especially the last couple of weeks, just naming things is so yeah. hard and how, yeah. how things are named very much influence how they get utilized and, and how people think about things. And, and do you guys, so, so it sounds like you guys actually bake that into your workflow. Like, let's take a step back. Let's take a look at these words. Let's take a look at, at the clarity behind them. Is that, is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah. And, and gosh, the, the naming part, <laughs> it's so hard. It, we've, we had, uh, for example, when we launched uh, our new, or I guess that's not so new anymore, but automation features, which used to be called autoresponders, which I think you know, people somewhat understand what they are now, but back in the day when that was first created, it's like people had no idea what that meant, right? It's like autoresponders. It's like, I mean, you can kind of put the two things together, but if you don't have kind of a technical background, it would mean nothing to you, right? Right, right. Um, so when we chose to redesign autoresponders, one of the things that we really considered was, you know, what are we going to call this? Because on one side we have all these people with history that kind of already know what they are. And on the other side, you know, we see all these uh, thousands of people signing up for MailChimp every day. And uh, a a portion of them are going to look at that word and they're going to have no clue what it means. So we decided to, we decided to rename it and we called it automation, which it's, it's still kind of a contrived kind of word, but at least, you know, okay, something automated is happening. Right. And, And that's probably, as much as you need to know before you get in there to to start playing around and, and discovering what the rest of the of the feature is right but yeah that was that was <laughs> that was a lot of uh, of back and forth trying to figure out and make that decision oh, that's that's fascinating uh, <laughs> that's man that stuff matters and especially whenever you're seeing it whenever it's customer facing it's like you could see really quickly. <laughs> does this thing, yeah. does this thing work or doesn't it? Um, so this is sort of coming back to the workflow and you know who's involved. And it sounds like by now everyone's sort of on board, uh, you know, and understands you know the the, the sort of pattern based workflow and and sort of referencing the style guide and making use of it and sort of striving to sort of roll new thinking back into that that sort of pattern library. Um, sort of a two-part question is, you know, has it always been that way or what were those sort of growing pains to sort of get people on board with that? And then the second part is sort of who's actually sort of maintaining and governing the style guide? Are there sort of dedicated people or, or sort of how how is the style guide sort of enforced and, and sort of who owns it? Hmm. So... Coming up with it and, and starting to enforce the system, I think, uh, you know, 
I think it's something that tech people and engineering focused people and design people to some extent. Uh, it's, it's something that, at least in, in our little world, it's something that I think people tend to gravitate towards too. Uh, sometimes it's like, you know, things are too, too loosey goosey and there's not enough, uh, there's not enough guardrails around the thing that the world that you're living in. So I don't know, to me, I feel like it's natural to start you know, building a system. And I think it just so happened that everybody else that, that, that was working on the pattern library at the time and uh, just MailChimp engineering in general just felt the same. Uh, so I think people were excited, uh, but not until this latest redesign. Uh, we, not until that happened, we had a, let me rephrase that. Uh, until the redesign happened, we didn't really have a concrete system to say, okay, these are the things that we're going to use and this is the markup that we're going to use and we're actually going to enforce this and we're actually going to care and make sure that, uh, that things remain as consistent as possible. Uh, so, and again, I think all, all of this, you know, was a, like a natural progression to the point where uh, when we had to to change the markup on, I think it was like a thousand give or take uh, views in the app. Uh, you know, that really hurt. <laughs> we were like, man, <laughs> this kind of sucks. Like we, I, I think we spent an entire, God, most of the redesign, I guess, literally just uh, converting markup, making sure that, uh, that things were, things, um, Utilize the new system that we had come it, up. Was it a good opportunity for code review? Uh, I'm sorry. Was it a good opportunity that? for a code review? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, and I think this is one of those uh, one of those times where we actually had enough time to to take a look at everything, right? We were looking at so many pages of the app. We cut so many features and so many things that we felt were being underutilized and just didn't really matter anymore. And at the same time, we were looking at markup and we were looking at the way things were done. Um, and I, I think this is the, the thing that kind of captivated me the most was that we saw, we started to see so many places where our patterns would actually work Right. Different parts of the UI, different pages of the app where it's like, oh man, like, you know, the slot system would work perfectly in here or, uh, or this pathway that we designed would work perfectly in here. But we actually didn't have enough time to rethink all those things. Um, so we ended up doing what we could during that process uh, and, and, and tackled the most important sections of the app, but other parts that were less important but we could still kind of, we could still see the potential there. We we left to the side, and we've been systematically attacking those uh, mm. ever since the redesign. So it's kind of ongoing. Yeah, that, oh, that's fantastic. But it's yeah. so it's like so. Phase one was sort of building your toolkit, and then phase two is sort of like, all right, we have these tools, we've established these patterns, and let's actually look for opportunities to sort of make use of these, right? Yeah, and I would say phase two was after our redesign happened and after our mm. first version of the pattern library was, was in place. Uh, just because, you know, it's so hard to come up with a system from scratch that says, okay, I'm going to design this slat system that's going to work in 
25 different pages of the app with every single permutation and combination that you can think of, right? That's, you know, that takes a lot of time and the scope just explodes. So we ended up actually starting with with our four main pages of the app, right? The, the dashboards, the campaign dashboard, the reports dashboard, the list dashboard. And we came up with something that worked across those four pages. And then once we did that, as we were implementing things in other pages, we started to realize it's like, man, this system will actually work here. And this system will actually work here and here, but we didn't have enough time to do the, do it all. So we were, we, we kind of set those things aside, like I said, and, we knew that we'd work on them later and we knew exactly what we're going to do those pages and we're going to apply to these new patterns, but that was going to be post post redesign and, and post launch. And we're still working on it right now. Oh, that's awesome. But is it so, so is it, are you seeing that, you know, as you sort of start, start doing this, it's saving you time because you're, you're sort of utilizing existing patterns rather than having to sort of start from scratch. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, a great example, and this is something that I've used before, but uh, I think we must have been almost a year ago now. We we built uh, a a segment export page, right? In in Mailchimp, there's uh, you know you have your list of people, and you can segment the li- those lists of people into segments. Mm-hmm. Um, so we built a, a little status page just to show uh, when your segments were exporting. And we actually ended up taking, again, same thing, the markup for those, that slot system uh, that's kind of prominent in MailChimp and just copied and pasted it, changed a few things. And in 20 minutes, we had built a system that was responsive. Uh, it looked great on mobile. And, uh, and it was actually, it was nice to look at. And it was one of those pages that not a lot of people will see. It's kind of... It, I, we call them the dark corners where <laughs> cobwebs collect, you know? Right. Right. Um, and it's one of those things that, that generally, you know, as, uh, when you're deciding the scope of a project, you're like, yeah, you know, it just doesn't matter that much. Just do what you need to do, get the page up and, and move on. And by having a pattern that you could actually use, that's already 95% of the way there, uh, it just makes things, it, it brings up the quality of everything. So those dark corners actually aren't so dark anymore. They actually share the same markup. A page that gets one one hundredth of the views uh, of the dashboard actually has the same markup and it's comprised of the same CSS as the dashboard. Yeah. Which is, it's really cool and, and people... People feel that after they, they start using the product. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that, that that just has huge ramifications on, on your brand, on consistency, cohesion, familiarity with, with your users. And it's like what, what you just described is at, at stark is like at a stark contrast with any sort of big enterprise site where you, you click four links into a big company site and you end up with four different designs or those old crusty support pages are, you know, look like they've been abandoned since 2001. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. So, it's so, crazy. So, so, you know, this sort of pattern based approach is, is, and really just plain old CSS, you know, even without, yeah. without like plain old CSS will magically update things to, to sort of look consistent. So, oh, that's so cool. And, and I mean, again, and you guys are just sort of head and shoulders above uh, uh, loads of people when it comes to sort of 
that branding and that sort of, you know, very consistent experience. And, and I think that like what you just described just makes that and really crystallizes that. That's, it's awesome. Cool. Thank you. So we're sort of running out of time, but so the, the, the last question we have for you is sort of what is that, that sort of end goal, right? What, what do you see as that sort of holy grail at the, as that perfect workflow, as that sort of perfect style guide? Like what, what would you say that that is? We've had a lot of discussions about this and, you know, I don't know that there's a right answer. Mm. I think for us, you know, we've gotten a lot better over the past, you know, four or five years from where we started. I think we're in a, we're in a much better place now um, in terms of, of our pattern library, how consistent things are. Uh, but, you know, honestly, it's it's something that would be impossible if the guys that are actually working on the, on the pattern library, uh, if those guys didn't actually care and bought into it and, and really kind of took ownership and, and implemented the, themselves. So, you know, I think that the, the Holy grail uh, for anybody to strive for is to find, you know, to, to find a team that really cares. And if you have a team that, that can actually get together and, and form together and all agree on this and, and realize how important it is, then everything else will work itself out. You know, if you're a small organization or, or a company, and you can't have a lot of overhead, you know, keeping it simple is fine. And, and whatever it is that you can do to actually use the patterns, you know, whether it's just a single page somewhere on somebody's Dropbox or uh, something a little bit more complex, you know, if, that, if that's what works for you and actually lets you keep going, that's fine. You know, for MailChimp, it's a little bit more overhead, but it's still, in the grand scheme of things, uh, relatively simple mm. and it's hard to make that call when you want to kind of go to the next level. Uh, and I think we'll, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out at some point soon. I don't know if that, I don't know if that makes any sense uh, to you guys, but that's, that's kind of what I envision. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I think that that's, that's perfect. And I think that you absolutely nailed it. Just, you know, really whatever works for the people and getting, getting the people to sort of care about it rather than the, the exact sort of technical setup, right, is, is absolutely a big win. So, well, hey, Fed, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for your time. This has uh, been just insanely insightful. And, and again, I just, I, we have so much respect for, for MailChimp and all the stuff you do. And especially with, with you know, putting it all out there in the open, sharing your thoughts, sharing your, uh, your UX newsletter is just always a wealth of, of really wonderful information. And uh, I'm just so glad that you guys have sort of created this culture of, of sort of sharing and, and putting things out there because we're all benefiting mm-hmm. from it. So, so thanks for that. Cool. That it, it means a lot to us. Thank you. It's awesome to hear. I'm glad you guys are doing this. Uh, I feel like more people have to do this. Uh, it's such a, a life-changing endeavor, uh, just in, in every step of the way. And it means a lot to us that you guys respect us and, and, and you look up to us. So it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. This is, like I said, so much fun. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so do we. Yeah. <laughs>
So, yeah. So, okay. So that concludes this episode. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we will have another small dose of, of style guide, pattern live, library inspiration for you coming soon. So thanks for tuning in. Yeah.